right, good morning, everybody. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms. I appreciate Pete and Nadia, you guys sharing your story. I, as um, they were sharing, I thought, you know, heaven will reveal the prayers spoken by moms that have moved mountains on earth. And this is my second Mother's Day without my mom. And when my mom passed, I think that was the first thing I thought, you know, in terms of uh, her ongoing blessing in my life was, who's going to pray for me? You know, it's kind of like nobody loves you quite like uh, your mom. And, um, and my mom was definitely that in my life. At the same time, you know, I, I fully recognize the fact that the parent-child relationship isn't always what we want it to be. <laughs> you know, it's not always what we want it to be. Uh, it's the desire of every good parent, of every Christian parent to take these little kids and prepare them for one day a face-to-face meeting with Jesus. That's what we want to do. We want to prepare our kids to see Jesus face-to-face. And some, at some point along the way, you realize, wow, these little creatures have their own free will, just like you. And it doesn't always go the way you expect or plan. But God is in the midst of all of this. I've said many times, nothing will sanctify you like the relationship you have with your kids. Nothing will conform you to the image of Jesus Christ like the relationship you have with your kids. Nothing closer to the heart of a mother than her child. And so that's actually what we're going to talk about this morning. The reason why is because Jesus talks about it. Jesus is having this conversation with his disciples, and they're wrestling with this concept of greatness. They actually ask the question, who will be the greatest? And in response, Jesus answers in a shocking, unexpected, the most unusual way. Uh, What we learn in Matthew chapter 18 is that as Jesus is having this conversation about greatness, previously he's talked about the kingdom of heaven. And so his men are thinking through, well, this kingdom of heaven sounds like an incredible place and every kingdom has its king, every king has his court. And since we're the ones that have spent all this time with Jesus, certainly we will be part of that court. And then it gets very human-like, the conversation, because they begin to think, well, what place will I have? Will I be Jesus' closest advisor? Will he make me the prime minister? I mean, it's definitely gonna be one of the 12 of us, right? Because we've been his entourage now for quite a while. All this kingdom of heaven talk, we're gonna be right next to the king in some position of authority, right? Luke tells us that during this conversation, it actually turns into an argument. Luke chapter nine, verse 46. An argument arose among them as to which of them was gonna be the greatest, which is crazy. You have to love how relatable these guys are. In their midst is the most humble person who ever walked the earth. His entire life was one of service. You would think they'd pick up that clue, but instead they start to think, I want this front row seat in the life to come. I want to be the greatest. And they begin having it. These are grown men arguing over places of superiority in heaven. And we think, How childish, they have no idea what's coming. What is great? How do you define it? I think if you were to ask most people, they would say, well, greatness is defined by your achievements. 
and your success. Some people would define greatness by intelligence or beauty or influence, but when Jesus is asked the question, he responds in a way that nobody expects. Since you men are, are having this discussion, this disagreement about which one of you is gonna be great in the life to come. So let me tell you, I'll give you an example, a living example of greatness. And he calls to himself a little kid <laughs> and he says, be like this child. Now I would imagine if you're a grown man arguing amongst your, your friends about what you're gonna get, what's coming to you. And Jesus says, you've got it all wrong. This little kid, he knows more about greatness than all of you. So in Matthew chapter 18, we get more details regarding this conversation. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest? Solve this argument for us. Who's it gonna be, Jesus? Which one of us? Who's gonna be the greatest in the kingdom? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them. And he said, truly I say to you, unless you turn, and the word literally describes someone who is walking in a direction and then changes direction. You've got to change the way you're thinking, gentlemen. Turn and become like children. You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So the disciples are trying to position themselves. Every kingdom has its hierarchy. Uh, every society has its hierarchy. You have those at the top and those at the bottom. And these men are thinking they're gonna certainly be somewhere near the top. They're thinking in terms of greatness as the world defined it, defines it. And if you do this, you're in trouble, and I'll explain why. It's like this. If you wanna be great, it's going to come at some cost. If you wanna be great by worldly standards, you probably won't even be a good person. <laughs> if you wanna be great according to the world standards, chances are you're probably gonna turn out to be a rotten person. Because the pursuit of greatness, to elevate yourself, the core of that is pride and ego. And what happens is you end up using others to build your greatness. And then, and, then what, and then once you become great, if you get any measure of greatness, what happens is you don't want to lose it. So you'll do whatever it takes to keep it, which also involves your pride, your ego, elevating yourself above others. So if greatness is, is something to be fought over and won, then your life is going to be one long struggle <laughs> because that fight will never end for you. The Old Testament gives several examples of how this plays itself out. At one point in the nation of Israel's history, they wanted to be just like every other nation. They had been ruled by judges and they decided, you know what? We're tired of this. We wanna be like the other nations. We want a monarchy. We don't want judges, we want a monarchy. We want one individual, one man to rule over us. And God's like, well, if that's what you want, it's not gonna go well for you, but okay. And so they choose for themselves a man who is very kingly in stature and appearance. He's a leader. He's a warrior. 
He's all the things that the people would want to represent them in an individual. And then something happens that happens to everyone at some point. Someone greater than you comes along. (laughs) As great as you think you are, someone greater than you is right behind you, waiting to snatch your place. There's this younger guy named David, and he too has a kingly presence. He's a leader, and in battle, he's an absolute warrior savage. I mean, this guy, he, well, the songwriters, people begin to take notice of this young up-and-comer. The songwriters begin writing songs. Of Saul, King Saul, they say, Saul has killed his thousands, and Saul's like, that's right. And then the next line is, but David has killed his 10,000s. And Saul's like, wait, what? Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his 10,000s. And Saul begins to think, there's a threat to my greatness and I must annihilate it. And he seeks to kill David. If you're greatness is defined in the way that society and culture, if if you define greatness in the way that other people think about you, how they view you, you're in trouble. Your life will always be a constant struggle, a constant fight. Give you another example. This guy named Nebuchadnezzar, history tells us that he was one of the most powerful men the world has ever known. Certainly the case in his time. He was the king over the Babylonian empire. And this empire was one of the great empires in all of human history. You have the Roman Empire, the Babylonian Empire. This man was, nobody told him what to do. He, he did whatever he wanted to do. That's the kind of power he had. He built monuments to his greatness. Virtually every brick used to build the city of Babylon had the impression of Nebuchadnezzar's name on it. When Saddam Hussein sought to rebuild parts of Iraq, Nebuchadnezzar was his hero. He did the same thing. Saddam's impression was on nearly every brick. And so Nebuchadnezzar built for himself one of what we now know as the seven ancient wonders of the world. He had a house high up on a hill. It was titled The Marvel of Mankind. Man had never seen anything like it. Now you're talking about, you know, Iraq, dry, barren place. They managed to bring water uphill so that his gardens could grow. One of the ancient seven wonders of the world, the hanging gardens of Babylon. So this man would step out on his balcony in the middle of this arid desert and see all this lush, green property. And you know he thought to himself, there is nobody like me. There has never been anybody like me. How does a man like that get brought low? You know, life is really interesting, isn't it? If you've lived any length of time, you realize there are things that will come into your life that are so unexpected. As much as we try to plan and prepare and control things, there are things that come into our lives that are completely unexpected and they wreck us. So he has these dreams 
And in one of these dreams, there's this tree that falls. And he's twisted up about it. He wants to understand what it means. And he's told the meaning is this. You are that tree and you will fall. And he spends the rest of his life looking over his shoulder in fear of his greatness being taken away. See, that's the challenge with human greatness. The temptation is to do whatever it takes to preserve it when you get it. To get it, you will invariably end up using others. In your, in your striving to be great, you probably won't even be a good person. So, apparently adults aren't the, the model. Instead, Jesus does this, verse two and three again, and calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, yeah, now you have to picture this. Just picture this happening. Calling to him a child, he puts him in the midst of them. So here's the, the guys, they're all talking, they're all having this discussion, and Jesus, in reply to the question, who's the greatest, what does Jesus do? Hey, Johnny, come here. Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So I can imagine perhaps how this scene plays itself out. They're in close proximity to these kids that are playing and Jesus calls one over and he says, hey, do you wanna, do you wanna draw with me in the ground? And without hesitation, the little boy says, sure. So I can imagine them drawing. And Jesus looks at these grown men and he says, <clears throat> I'm about to answer your question about greatness. You wanna know what greatness is in my kingdom? It's right here. It's this child. And unless you have greatness like this child, you know nothing about my kingdom. Hard for me to describe how earth-shattering this is for these men, in many ways. I'll give you one. Back in the day, children were viewed as little more than property. Today we say children should be seen and not heard. Back in the day, no, they weren't even seen. And remarkably, Jesus takes a child and says, no, the child understands greatness. What is he talking about? It's like he's not even having a conversation with this kid about greatness. Well, what do you think greatness is, little boy? There's no conversation there. He just says, look at, him. look at him right now. This is greatness. What is he talking about? Well, there's something special about little kids. Little kids have this innocence to them. This is why when something happens to a child, it's especially gnarly, because it's like their innocence is taken away from them. And little kids, they're not thinking about social order. They're not, they're not thinking about having a, a place of higher privilege than someone else. They just don't have that concept. You know, it's, it's like a, a little kid runs up to you in diapers and they're not asking you this question. Are you an influencer? Because I only allow influencers to change my diapers. <laughs> or... Kids don't encounter each other and go, are you royalty? They don't do that. Kids walk up to each other and they're just like, do you want to be my friend? Sure, I'll be your friend. Okay, great, let's go play. 
That's what Jesus is referring to. It's like you guys are all consumed about this place of privilege and honor in the life to come. First off, you need to learn from me. Secondly, grow up like a child. You think he's concerned with the things you are? You think he's stressed out about what seat at the table he's gonna have? He's not thinking about any of that stuff. I call him over here and he comes and that's it. But it doesn't end there. I see Jesus saying more and, and uh, here's why. The word he chooses to use for little ones is a really interesting Greek word, it's pideia. And this same word is used to describe people who are marginalized. This is a word that was used to describe servants and slaves, not just little kids. Now he could have chosen uh, other words to describe, he could have chosen the word technia, which is a term of endearment for little kids. He doesn't use, he doesn't use that word. He uses this, this word, pedia. It's really interesting. And I think what he's, what he's saying is, like this little child, not concerned about the social status of those that he's around, unlike you. Unlike you, he's not concerned about whether or not this person can elevate his position in life. He's not even thinking about that. But you see, you are. And this is the ministry of Jesus because he was constantly hanging out with the outcasts. He was hanging out with the, the prostitutes, the sinners, tax collectors, women that's demon possessed. These are the people that love to be around Jesus. And every single culture has this problem because it's within the human heart. Everybody, everybody looks down on someone else. Everybody. I don't care what society, you know, you try to elevate these societies that have these, uh, that have these very high happiness ratings. It's really interesting because they turn out to be extremely homogeneous because they look down on other people. And it's everywhere. And so it surprises people to know that there is something that has this remarkable ability to bring about social cohesion. And you know what that thing is? Christianity. Christianity is the one thing in this world that promotes social cohesion, and here's why. Only in Christianity do you have this concept of man being separated from God so much so that there is no way, no possible way he could earn his way to God. So God has to do for him what man can't do for himself. He doesn't deserve it. He cannot earn it. It's completely an all on God. That's extraordinarily humbling. See, the one thing that unites all of humanity, we're all sinners separated from God. At the foot of the cross, the playing field is absolutely level. No room for pride or arrogance. Additionally, the Christian understands that he or she deserves nothing, nothing. And every good thing we have comes to us from God. That's James. James says every good and perfect thing comes to us from the Father of lights, who never changes. And so if you view what you have as a gift, you're gonna be more inclined to share what you have with others instead of using and manipulating others to get what you want. But if you define greatness according to human standards, you're going to be using 
things and people all the time to elevate yourself. And what, here, here it gets even gnarlier, right? Because this is also in the human heart. What happens is you begin to think, I deserve every good thing. And then it's a very small step from that phrase to this one. Not only do I deserve all good things, but I deserve more than you. I deserve more than you. So Jesus says, men, this is your mentality. But you see this little kid, he's not thinking about these things at all. You need to turn and be like him. It's everywhere. American society is separated. It's really, really difficult to bring people together today because there are so many things that are elevated that keep us apart. And it happens even in small ways. In small ways, sometimes we don't even see it. Uh, And what's interesting is that sometimes the very people or even institutions that claim to bring us together, in fact, subtly separate us. Did you know that Ivy League schools, uh, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, they were all started by Christians. John Harvard was a Puritan. And these people believed that if we could get the Bible into the hands of society and its members, and they would read the Bible and they would understand who Jesus is and the way he lived his life in humility, then the world will be a much better place. It was originally Harvard Divinity School. Even its colors, crimson and white. The class of 2025 at uh, Harvard is the school's most selective class in its history. About 4%, 4 4%, 96% rejection rate. Only 4% get accepted. And so the halls of these Ivy League schools are constantly preaching things like togetherness and inclusivity And yet, they are some of the most exclusive places on the planet. Uh, They will reject you, you understand, because you don't meet their strict standards of inclusion. But you're not smart enough to figure that out. So my point is, it's everywhere. You know, this, this sense within the heart is in overt and covert way, but it's everywhere. Let's, let's be real about it. It's everywhere. So this is why I said there's only one thing that promotes social cohesion, and that is Christianity. And, and if you want to be great, Jesus says, be like this child. But then he identifies it for you. He says, okay, here's the characteristic. You ready? Humility. What is it about this kid? Jesus tells you, be humble. Be humble like this child. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You guys aren't thinking in terms of humility. You guys probably don't even know what humility is. So Jesus says, be like this little boy. Wouldn't it be great if we had a living, breathing example of humility, like like someone who walked the planet? Wouldn't it be great if it it wasn't just like someone that, you know, like a fable, but like a real life person, we have it. Of course, it's Jesus. 
Paul in Philippians chapter two writes this, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. That's really hard. How do you do that? Well, you have to have a mindset, an attitude, but in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Mm. It's been said that everybody wants to be a servant until you get treated like one. Sure, I'll serve. And then someone says, hey, I need you to do this, 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 that. And you're like, wait a minute, don't tell me what to do. (laughs) Have this mind. Isn't that interesting? It starts in the mind. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours by example in Christ Jesus. Here's what it looks like. This is a fat theological thread. I'm going to read it, then I'm going to unwind it for you. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but instead he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and then being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. That's how far Jesus took humility. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That word Lord, curious, means master to the glory of God the Father. All right, here's what he's saying. Jesus had all the rights and privileges of deity before he came to the planet. John chapter one, verse one. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Who is this word? Drop down to verse 14. And the word became flesh and he dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. Glory is that which you manifest about yourself. We beheld his glory, and it was the kind of glory that only comes from God, he says. So Jesus, before coming to the earth, his pre-existent form, had all the rights and privileges of deity. Before coming to the earth, what he does is he sets those privileges on the shelf. In that sense, he empties himself, but at the same time as he empties himself, he takes something in return. Kind of a crazy concept. He's so full of deity, he has to empty himself of deity in order to take on the form of a man. So he takes on the form of a man and he dwells among men. That's humility in and of itself. Just that part is enough. It's like the king exchanges his royal crown for a crown of thorns. Takes on the form of of a man and therefore he experiences the things we experience. He was tempted. He got hungry, he got thirsty. There were times when he, there was a moment in the Garden of Gethsemane before his crucifixion where he experienced extreme anxiety. He knows what it's like to lose friends. He knows what it's like to have a good friend turn on you. He experienced all the things that we experience in this life, yet he was without sin. And he was willing to take this act of humility all the way to the cross, and Paul emphasizes, even death on the cross. It's not like Jesus suffered and died in two seconds. Death by crucifixion, it was death by torture. Torture. That, he was willing to go that deep in the game. How so? He considered others as more important than himself. And it begins with the mind, that mindset that leads to the act that manifests itself in being a blessing to other people, but it takes humility. This is the heart of our leader. So if Jesus and his community are going to be unified, 
then it starts with our own humility toward one another. Who is the greatest, they ask. You know what's interesting? Who is the greatest? I'm fascinated by the fact that Jesus doesn't point to himself. Well, I guess that wouldn't be too humble, would it? But he doesn't. He points to a child, and in doing so, he gives them a glimpse into his own nature. Is there a role on this planet that is more humbling and sacrificial than that of a mom? When Jesus approaches Jerusalem, he's about to have a crazy week. He approaches Jerusalem, and before he enters, this happens. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together? This is mothering language. As a hen gathers her brood under her wings. But you, you were not willing. I'm convinced that God creates these roles in life to give us a glimpse of his, of his heart. You, you wanna know what humility looks like? Here, here's a child. You, know what, you wanna know what servanthood looks like in humility? Here's a mom. If you wanna know the heart of a mom, ask her. What is your heart for me? Now, we don't always get it right. We live in a fallen and imperfect world. But when Jesus uses the terminology of motherhood, he's saying something really profound. There are in fact these examples of humility all around us for us to learn from. And when we enter into these spaces that God has created, it does something to a person's heart. And as you leave here today, my challenge to you is simply this. How do you define greatness? I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. If greatness to you is defined by what others think of you in your position, in your status, your life will constantly be a struggle. If it's defined by what you desire, what you see on social media or other platforms, your life is gonna be wrecked. Greatness, according to Jesus, is the attitude of humility. And praise God, we have the example, a living example of it in Jesus Christ who actually displayed it for you. So Father, as we leave this place, first of all, we are so grateful for the gift of moms and for the mothering heart of God toward humanity. And Lord, I know that Relationships can be fractured and broken in this life. And that's why it's, it's a blessing to see the perfection of even fatherhood, motherhood in the heart of Jesus himself. And we received that this morning. Pray a special blessing over every mom in the room. Most of all, Lord, we wanna bring you glory and honor. And we do that by imitating the life of Jesus 
Jesus is lifted up, people are drawn to him and lives are transformed. And God, when glory is given to you, our lives are blessed because of it. And so we're grateful. And as we leave here, may we express that gratitude by adopting the heart of Jesus himself towards those around us. Again, for your glory and for our good. And because of the one who makes it all possible, his name is Jesus Christ and God's people said,